My name is Brandon, and I'm the executive pastor of Renaissance Church. Um, we'll be in John chapter 15 today. It's John chapter 15 as we finish out our sermon series, Jesus Is. I'm going to pray for you and me while we flip there. God, we love you so much. We love you so, so much, God. You are with us. You are the most present minister in the room this morning, Lord. And I pray, Father, as we break open your word, that your word, the seed of your word, would fall on good soil and bear fruit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, there was a Delta flight attendant. I don't know if you have it or not. Yeah, I don't know. There was a Delta flight attendant who was flying from Charlotte to JFK. We won't debate about which airport is the best in the area. It's clearly Newark. Uh, But... uh, but (laughs) I'm from Jersey. I knew I was going to get booed for that. You know what I'm saying? It's all good. It's all good. Where where the tomatoes at? No, I'm sorry. Um, But there was a flight attendant, a Delta flight attendant, who was flying from Charlotte to JFK. And while he was doing that, you know, doing his job like flight attendants do, he noticed that there was a a lady who was deeply troubled by the turbulence that the plane was experiencing as they flew over those Blue Ridge Mountains. And so in between breaks of his duties, he actually went over to explain to the lady, like, all of the things that were happening and why they were experiencing turbulence, why they were experiencing different changes in elevation. And then he continued on about his job, trying to comfort her. Coming back, he saw she was still very, very disturbed. And so this time he stopped again, but he just sat next to her in the aisle and held her hand. You see, there's something about in times of deep trouble and distress that presence brings more peace than clarity often does. You see, Jesus in John 15, what we're getting ready to read here, he is talking to his disciples when he says this, and he tells them something pretty troubling. He tells them, I'm getting ready to go and be crucified. And of course, he raises from the dead to ascend, to be with God the Father at his right hand forever. But in the moment, I'm leaving you is what he's saying. And They're very troubled by that. They just got news that they're getting ready to experience profound loss in their lives. Here's this guy that they just changed their entire lives around. And they're like, and now you're you're saying you're leaving? In any sense, that's deeply troubling to me. That is a big loss. And they're wondering, am I going to be able to make it through such turbulence that you're describing? Is everything really going to be okay? How is this all getting ready to shake out? And most importantly, this dude that I just leveraged my whole life on, is he really somebody I can leverage my life on? So he has this farewell dinner, John 14, which Jordan talked about last week. Jesus explains to them, don't worry, I am the truth and the way and the life. But still, they're deeply troubled, you see, at the end of the chapter, And so he ends the the farewell dinner with his farewell message, and he walks down the steps into what would have been a garden. And very metaphorically, as Jesus does, 
He says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Amen. See, Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, what he's saying to them is, I am the one you can rely on always. He's saying, Jesus is saying that he is the one that we can leverage our entire lives on. And he's trying to assure them that even though I just said I'm going away, he's not going away as if he is a neglectful father or a flaky friend. No, he's going away as in he is going to a a place. He is going to a, a, a position that will make him inseparable from them forever. And because of that, he is the one we can leverage our entire lives on always because he is with us. He is God with us. He's saying he's, he's not just some content creator that, that's creating you know, bits and pieces of golden nuggets online that you can consume. No, he is the bread of life. He's not just one of of many ways to get to God or to get to heaven or to be successful. No, he is the singular door of the sheep. He is the way. He is the truth along that way. He is the, the life that you experience at the end of that way. He is the true vine. He is God. Not a prophet, not a good teacher. God, which is a very radical thing to say. He makes himself equal to God. And he says, because he is God with us, we can leverage our entire lives on him. You see, he's speaking to their hearts, not just his head when he said, not just their heads when he says, I am the vine. And because of that, we can and we should stay grounded in Jesus. You know, God's people have always understood this metaphor of the vine. In the Old Testament, you, you see this a lot. It's used a bunch of times to describe God's people. So like God's people are often described as a vineyard. And they've always understood because of that, they have this reliance on God as their great gardener, as their great vine dresser. The Bible uses this analogy a lot. One example would be in Isaiah chapter 5. It says, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my, my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil. He cleared it of stones. He planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. You see, God cares for this vineyard. 
He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? There's a lot to unpack there. But what I want you to focus on for the moment, we'll, we'll get to that. But the, what, I want you to, what I want you to focus on right now is that Israel is God's vineyard. And that is one example of many throughout the Bible that the vineyard is depicted as God's people. But Jesus, when he says, I am the vine, he's saying that is no longer. That is no longer the case. It is no longer that God's people are the vineyard. I am the vine. I am the chosen one of God. Jesus says he is the one through whom you can experience God through him and him alone. Jesus is the true vine. And so all who are attached to that vine, all who believe in that vine and abide by that vine, then experience the blessing of that vine are loved by God because they're attached to that vine, not because they do anything special or there's anything great about them in their own right. That time is no longer. Instead of describing God's people as planted vines rooted in the soil of Israel, Jesus describes them as branches attached to himself, the one true vine. Jesus says he is the way, he is the source. And again, he makes himself equal with God as he says, he is the one on whom we can rely. You know, whether or not you consider yourself religious, we are all looking for something to rely on, to, to hold us up as we fulfill all of our heart's desires, to hold us up as we go through difficult times like the disciples were going through. But you know, I think it is those difficult times that show me, at least personally, I don't know about you, but me, that I tend to just rely on myself, if I'm being real. I just tend to rely on myself. I tend to think that I don't need anything from anybody. Like, I'm good, for real. I'm straight. Because I'm him, you know what I mean? Like, I don't believe God when he says, I am he. I believe that I am him. You understand me? Like... I'm good. Actually, and the only thing I actually need for people is if you would just get out of my way, please, because, you know, then I'll be fruitful. <laughs> then I can be the most fruitful because you're in my way. You know, I, I can get it all done. I can do the thing. I can organize it all. Deep down, I believe that. How did, did he put it? He said, I'm the macaroni with the cheese. You know what I'm saying? I believe I am the macaroni and the cheese. If we really are talking about it, like, I think I can do it all. But you know what Jesus says when he says, I am the vine? He's saying that he is the cheese to your macaroni. I'm saying, you, your macaroni, a lot of potential. Amen? <laughs> lot, lots of potential. But uh, apart from cheese, you can do nothing. <laughs> apart from cheese. Amen. Amen, somebody. We know who's bringing mac and cheese at the cookout now. But that's what I really believe. And in that way, I'm relying on not the true vine. Or maybe your untrue vine is comfort. 
You just, everything's just got to be pristine, curated, perfect, comfortable. Mm, you just want to like, you know, that sound people make when they're like real, com- mm, like that's the epitome of you. You just always want that feeling. You know, what I mean? everything's got to be copacetic, cozy, comfortable, snuggy type life. And that's what you rely on. You rely on your ability to make things comfortable. Or maybe you rely on your work. Maybe you rely on your, your to-do list. Oh, it's just supreme in your life. That's what you're really relying on, relying on your ability to get things done and just drive things through the finish line. Producing the fruit of quality work, good, a good thing, comfort's a good thing, the self is a good thing, but they're not meant to be relied on. Or maybe you're relying on hustle, right? We in New York, everything's all about the hustle and bustle, right? That's just what it's all about. Speed, getting it done fast, growing fast, learning all the things, turning all the stones, jumping from job to job. But you know what else grows fast? Fires. But we ought to learn to, to produce more like a vine and not like a fire, When we do these things, we are relying on things that are not meant to be relied on. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, instead we are relying, uh, we're producing the fruit of Isaiah 5, the the worthless grapes of isolation and selfishness, albeit maybe some success as well, materially. Materially. And we're relying on what Deuteronomy 32, 32 calls the vine from the fields of Gomorrah that produces poisonous grapes, a sickened vine that produces poisonous, worthless fruit. We're relying on things, and here's the test that will not carry us through difficult times. The thing is that we all rely on some type of vine. We all rely on some type of vine, and we will produce the fruit of that vine. And so the question here, a lot of times we read through this verse, and especially the verse we're getting ready to get to, verse 2, which I'll just read it. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, a lot of times we read that, and we want to think like, oh, wait, am I I fruitful? Am I fruitful enough? Is is God satisfied with my fruitfulness? And I I think that that's the wrong question. The question is not, are you fruitful? The question is, what kind of fruit are you producing? Is it fruit from the true vine? Or is it fruit from some other much less worthy vine? Because here's the thing, what verse 2 is talking about, we have to keep that in context. Specifically thinking about Judas, you have to think he was just explaining to his disciples about how someone will betray him. But what he's specifically talking about is when we face difficult moments like the one they're getting ready to face, like the one some of you are in right now or getting ready to be in. When we face difficult times, will we be found relying on the true vine or something else? Right? If I'm just relying on myself... In my most difficult moments, I'm going to crumble. I cannot carry all of that weight. As much as I want to believe it deep down, I cannot carry all the weight of my life on my own when trouble hits. 
You know, I always actually, and I think Tripp knows this. He be doing this on purpose. I, I, I always cry when I hear us sing, you know my name. Because I think this is a lot of what Jesus was talking about, and it was my late aunt's favorite song. Um, so I just always think about her when I hear it. And um, I, I think this is what Jesus is talking about. He, he's speaking to their hearts, not their minds. He, he explains to them, like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I am all these different things. But then I think he turned and, and, and like, in his human nature realized, again, I need to speak to their hearts. I'm, I'm with you. I'm holding your hand in a few days when things look crazy. I'm there. But things will look crazy. And if you're found relying on comfort, at the slightest bit of discomfort, you're going to bounce. Like, you're not going to stay. If comfort is king to you, and that is worthless fruit. You know, the, the second verse here is talking about how the pruning scissors will come to every branch, is what I'm talking about. Everybody will face difficulty, and some of us are facing difficulty right this moment in our families, in our work. And when you do, it's going to come to everybody. I feel the need to to belabor that point. It's not saying that the pruning scissors come to some people and not others based off of your fruit. It's talking about that the pruning scissors come to every branch. A good gardener knows that every single branch gets the pruning scissors, but some to cut off and some to cut off the dead weight to make more fruitful. And what he's saying is that when the pruning, not if, when the pruning scissors come to you, if you are found relying on the true vine, you will bear fruit. The true vine. Because in Jesus, here's what he says. Verse 3, he says, you are already clean. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Be fruitful for sure. But at the same time, religious activity doesn't automatically equate to fruitfulness in Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, not because of what you've done or what you're getting ready to do. And here's this dichotomy. The disciples were getting ready to do a bunch of crazy stuff on both ends of the spectrum. And he knew that. But he said, listen to me, because you've believed in me and lived by my word, you are already clean. Right? The disciples, when he said this, they were just getting ready to absolutely abandon and betray him. Up on the cross, Peter talking about, I do not, yo, y'all better leave me alone. I don't know that man. Don't know him. Leave me alone. Running away. Abandoning him. Abandoning God. Being beaten for you. Being mocked for you. Being scorned, crucified, buried for you. Believe in Jesus, you are already clean. And on the opposite end, they're getting also ready to to give their lives for Jesus. They're getting ready to do some amazing things in Jesus' name. Plant churches, start ministries to the poor, help the sick, heal the lame. That's great. 
keep doing those things. But in Jesus, you are already clean. Because I think some of us come in and, and we have these things going on, man, maybe I've made some decisions this morning and, and you struggle to come today. You're like, yeah, I don't even know. Am I really even a Christian? The things I, was, I did this past week, the, the, the decision that is before me, I don't even know. Believe in Jesus. Continue pursuing and living his word. You are already clean. And I think on the opposite end, some of us come in and we're like, man, I'm leading one of the best ministries in New York City. I'm saying I'm doing all the things every day. I'm helping the kids. I'm helping adults. I'm doing everything. I'm everywhere. I'm helping people. People don't even know the stuff I do. That's great. Aside from that, in Jesus, you are already clean. Because here's the good news. God understands how hypocritical we are. <laughs> God understands the deepest, darkest parts of our heart. How we rely on these false vines. And that disgusts the heart of God so much that he came down here himself to be crucified and raised from the dead. Yet in Jesus, he loves you anyway. That is the epitome of what Jesus is saying. He is with you. He loves you anyway. You're good. You are already clean. And I don't know about y'all, but this is news that makes me want to remain in him. Verse 4, he says, remain in me and I in you. When Jesus says this, he means remain in him by believing in his word and living his word. There is, yes, we have so much grace. There is also a standard Jesus calls us to. Grace both calls us into healing and covering, right? When God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He also doesn't see all the great things you do. He sees his son. And it is only because of the things his son has done that you are loved by him. Yet still there is a standard we are called to because grace both covers and calls us to something. It both covers our sin and it calls us to something greater. The disciples knew they were getting ready to see their Savior crucified. But again, Jesus didn't speak to their minds. He spoke to their troubled hearts. When Jesus said, remain, like, there's this sense of perseverance. They've already decided to remain in there. I mean, like, the last, the previous three years had proved that. Like, gave up businesses, all sorts of different things, completely changed their lives to believe in this, this Messiah that has come. So there's this sense of perseverance and decision that they've decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, when things get crazy in a few days, keep on remaining in me. He encourages them. Remain in him. Believe in him. Even things when start to look crazy. Even when things look crazy at work. It's the middle of Q2 for some of y'all right now. Deadlines are looming. I mean, Q1, my bad. It's the middle of Q1. And maybe you have different revenue goals that you need to meet by the end of this month or by the end of March. It's a serious thing. 
And maybe those goals don't look too good right now. Or maybe you have project goals that need to be met. Jesus says when things look crazy, remain in him. Will you keep your integrity in the standard that Jesus calls you to, to love him above all else and love other people? Will you bear fruit even in that tense moment at work? Will you bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? Will you have self-control? Galatians 5 Or will you be found relying on something else, a lack of integrity, pushing and shoving to get to the finish line? When things get crazy at home, when you suffer profound loss, Jesus is not just saying like, oh, you know, you you lost that person and this this all has some grand meaning I'm going to deliver to you now. No. But will you be found believing in the presence of your risen Savior who is with you? You, your, your true source that you can leverage your life on. Or will you be found relying on yourself? Will you keep love, joy, peace? Will you keep seeking unity in your family when things get real tough? When that person doesn't change? See, God is concerned that our hearts persevere in relying on Jesus and believing his word. Remaining, that's what he's talking about. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. Now, my mom, uh, I love my mom so much. Uh, She lives in New Jersey. And she had like the same sayings. We grew up in this apartment building. She had like the same, she had different, the same saying for different seasons. It was almost like, I, like when I think of my childhood summers, I always think of this one saying from my mom. Because I would just be in and out, running out, out of our apartment door, hanging out with my friends, coming back for a sip of water. Running outside, coming back inside just to put my shirt over the air conditioner. And then run back outside, come use the bathroom. And my mom will always, after a few times, be like, boy, you better stop opening and closing my door, letting out all my good air. You understand me? It's cold in here, that costs money. It's hot out there, that's free. You can be hot for free, or you can come in here, but you got to choose one or the other. You're going to remain outside or inside. Understand me? She's like, "He, (laughs) he who does not choose to remain outside or inside will be forced to remain inside for the remainder of the week. You understand? In biblical terms, you're grounded. If you don't stop letting out all my good air. And there was this sense where I would persevere outside then when things got a little tough. I'm saying the, the bushes became, became a bathroom. Amen. I would have to drink some hot Gatorade. I couldn't have to keep the Gatorade cold in the fridge. That was nice. But if I keep doing that, you know what I'm saying, I'm getting grounded. So I'm going to take the Gatorade. It's going to get hot, but it's all right. You know, at least I get to stay outside, do my thing, run around my building in the courtyard with my friends. And there was also this sense that my mother was, wanted to provide an abundance of cool air and climate control for us. And being a single mother wasn't always that easy to do. She needed me to stop letting out the good air. 
And you know, the last thing is that remaining in Jesus means an abundance of provision. You see, God, God provides abundantly because his character is exuberant. God, Jesus, when he says, I am with you, he's not saying I'm with you just so that you just, just scrape by. No, Jesus is, is really concerned with our present reality. God is concerned with our present reality so much so that he inserted himself in our present reality and resurrected in the same skin you have and I have right now. Jesus doesn't say, I am with you as if I am here just to help you scrape by when you think about even when he says, I am the vine, right? Like vines and branches produce more fruit than the gardener needs. If you've ever grown a tomato plant or something like that, there is a, a if, if it's healthy, there is a point in time you're going to have like 40 tomatoes. And I don't know about you, I don't like tomatoes that much. I mean, I might have like some sauce, some pasta, some pizza. I can't find that many uses for 40 ripe tomatoes at once. It produces more than you need. And you get this sense in God's majestic order, his creation. There are 8.7 million different types of living things. At least I think that's true. I Googled it. 8.7 million different types. Like humans are one type of living thing. There are 8.7 million more living types of things. Like why? I have a lot of deep thoughts, but I can't think of any reason other than that God is just a God of abundance. There are how many 32 billion stars just in our galaxy? Why, God? Like, <laughs> I can't think of any other reason other than that God intends to provide with abundance our reality provides us a sense that we live under the kingship of God, not just as a means to get by, but rather remaining in Jesus. God intends to pour his lavishness on us forever, even in your distress, even when you're confused, even when you have experienced profound loss, especially then, God intends to ensure you that he is God with you, holding your hand, providing for you in abundance. If you would believe that. In Jesus, much fruit is produced unto the power of his Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. I am the vine. You are the branches the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Believe that.